morning, everyone. And uh, so good to see you all here. Welcome to Goshen Baptist Church. If you're here with us in person or if you're online joining us on Facebook today, welcome as well to you. Uh, we are excited to continue on in our series on Revelation and living in the end times. And before we get into our time of service today, let's open in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. And uh, we are grateful that we can be gathered for worship. We ask your blessing over this time together. May we know your presence here amongst us. May your spirit fill our praises and guide our worship. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Morning. The call to worship this morning is the responsive reading of Revelation 11, verses 15 to 17. You read the part in yellow. There were loud voices in heaven, which said, And the 24 elders, who were seated on their thrones before God, fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, First hymn this morning is uh, number 33 in your hymnals. Uh, please stand and sing. As we come to our announcements today, 
Um, just a reminder that on Sunday mornings at 9.15, we are studying the Gospel of John. We have a video series. We watch a little clip of that. And then we turn to the scriptures, and we have some discussion questions that we share together. And it's always a great time, and anyone is welcome to join us for that time. Bible study carries on this week on Thursday morning at 10 o'clock, and we are looking at the end times. This is our series we're doing, and we're talking about understanding judgment. And so you are welcome to join us for that as well, if you would like. For birthdays and anniversaries that are coming up this week, uh, we have on June 1st, Lloyd and Alma are celebrating 59 years of marriage, and so uh, please to reach out to them. I know they would appreciate that. And Brenda McKibben has a birthday coming up this week. Happy birthday. Uh, and Fred Parsons as well. So happy birthday to you folks. We will we'll spare you our singing on that. Um, please remember, coming up on June 12th is going to be our Bring Your Own Picnic gathering after church. If the weather is the weather we would like, then hopefully we will be able to have an outdoor service. So make sure you bring lawn chairs um, or a blanket if you prefer to sit on the grass. I would, I would recommend a lawn chair. Uh, we'll be playing games after our lunch together and having a campfire there as well. So it's going to be a nice day. Uh, weather permitting, hopefully we have nice weather for that day. Uh, before we get into our tithes and offerings, are there any other announcements that need to be shared today? Okay, thank you. Is there something? Yeah, go ahead. Your second great grandchild, but congratulations. And what is your granddaughter's name that is having the baby? Erica. Erica. Okay, awesome. Well, congratulations to them. And um, I highly recommend October 2nd as a great day to be born. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. That's the third, too, eh? All right. So she's got choices, but only two. <laughs> awesome. And as a reminder, of course, you know, part of our ongoing call to worship God is not just through song. It's not just through being together and learning from the scriptures, but it's through giving back to God of that which he has blessed us with. As a reminder that for May and June, we're also uh, over and above our regular givings. We are giving to Camp Oneida to try and help send two campers to camp. Um, for our week of camp that Beth and I are directing, we already have 29 campers that are in, uh, signed up to come. So we are looking for leaders as well. Uh, we still need lifeguards, so please be praying for this. If God should put on your heart that you want to lead overnight in a cabin, I don't care what your age is. We'd love to have you. Um, so um, it will be a, a great week. And um, we always have a, a lot of fun and have a great team. So we have a few people that have come on as uh, leaders that have applied, which is wonderful. We still need a few more. So we're looking forward to a great season together. As a reminder as well, this year with Camp Oneida, that if you have a, a desire to go out there and, and visit and see it and maybe even stay, uh, there are some opportunities for you to come on one of their shorter weeks. They have um, family camp time. And so the family camps are unstructured. It's basically you're just renting a cabin there. And um, all the details are available on camp's website, camponeida.com. 
And so these are the ways that uh, we are seeking to be the church within our community and within our, our greater community. And certainly, Camp Oneida is part of our family too. So let's take a moment and pray for the tithes and offerings and the missions giving. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that worship is more than just our songs, more than just what we do with our voices and our minds. That, Father, even giving is an act of worship. And you have given to us everything that we have. So we give back to you in a spirit of gratefulness for your blessing in our lives. Father, would you take our tithes and our offerings and our mission giving and would you bless others through that giving? We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our next song that we're going to sing together is a chorus, You Are My Hiding Place. Please stand. I'm grateful that we have the music that is pre-recorded, but I really miss our musicians when they're not here as well. As we come to our time of praying together, do we have any updates on people that we've been praying for? Or is there anybody else that we need to be praying for? Yes, yes, indeed. Yeah, he was... Yes, yeah, he had a little bit of a, an episode this week, um, but he is doing okay right now, right? Yeah, good. So it's Raven. Yes, that's true. Yeah, Brenda's been sick as well, Scott's wife and uh, daughter as well. They've had a little uh, something go through their systems there, and so uh, we'll continue to be caring for them. Anybody else? Got an opportunity to visit with Marguerite Racher this week, which was nice. And uh, Bill is doing okay out in Terrace Lodge where he is. And um, one of the things that Marguerite and I had a little chuckle over is he had been in the hospital before that. And she said, the food at Terrace Lodge is much better. <laughs> Go figure. <laughs> but he sees more interaction there, which is good for him too. And uh, they usually try and get out, family gets out there uh, once or twice a week to see him. And so, um, yes, we'll continue to remember Bill. And uh, is there any praise items for anyone this week? We had obviously one with Joyce for their family and Erica, and she's expecting. 
Thank you. Thank you, Brenda. So yes, we've been praying for Brenda's daughter-in-law, Kim, as she has been battling cancer, and she just had her last surgery, and so everything's gone well, and so that's great news. Great news as we continue to pray for her healing. Excellent. I think one of the things that might be on our mind this week as we look at praying is uh, the shooting that happened down in Texas and the tragedy there. Um, there are tragedies that happen all around us, and, and they are sometimes almost overwhelming when we look at those things. But God hears our prayers, and so let's also lift our prayers to him for those people that have been so profoundly impacted in this way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. And we are grateful for the many blessings that you pour into our lives. Father, we are grateful that Bill is in good care and good hands at Terrace Lodge. Father, we thank you for the good news about Kim as well as she has had a successful surgery and we pray for her continued recovery at this point. Father, for the good news about Erica and the child that is being expected, we pray for safety for mom and for the baby. Father, we thank you for the sunshine. We thank you for this family of faith that we can come and belong to. Father, we lift up to you today needs of those around us. Father, we continue to hear about tragedy that strikes. Father, this shooting in the school down in Texas, we pray for all of those who are impacted by that. We pray for healing of the hearts of those who have lost loved ones. Pray for those who have been dramatically impacted as survivors of that. Father, we pray for your comfort for all who grieve today. Grief is a funny thing that comes at times in the most unexpected places. Would you comfort those who grieve? Father, we lift up those who are battling cancer today. We ask that you would bring healing. Father, that those who are facing surgery, that you would guide the doctors and nurses and those who are going through treatments, that you would give them strength. Father, we lift up those who have ongoing problems, medical conditions, pain and suffering. Father, we ask for relief, for comfort, for healing, and for strength. Father, today we continue to lift up our sister churches as well. And not just the two on the screen, Father, but all churches today who are worshiping you, who are teaching from the word of God, are lights in a dark world. Father, may your light shine forth from those places. And today as we are gathered, Father, would you speak to us? And may we have the ears to hear what you would have to say. Bless us together, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.
Our next song that we're going to sing together is What a Friend We Have in Jesus. It's found at number 630 in your hymnal. Please stand. reading this morning is Revelation chapter 6 verses 1 to 17. I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, Come! I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. When the Lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come! Then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other. To him was given a large sword. When the lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, Two pounds of wheat for a day's wages, and six pounds of barley for a day's wages, and do not damage the oil and the wine. When the lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind him. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. 
When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. I watched as he opened the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red, and the stars in the sky fell to earth as figs dropped from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The heavens receded like a scroll being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and everyone else, both slave and free, hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can withstand it? Well, thank you, Scott. Well, look at you people. You, we're talking about Revelation week after week, and you actually showed up. Way to go. I'm impressed. Today, we're going to talk about something that's going to be a little bit heavier. We're going to talk about justice and wrath. Well, as I've been saying all along, unfortunately, with Revelation, there is a lot there, so we, but we can't cover everything in seven weeks, and yet you know we're going to cover everything in seven weeks. So whatever we cover, we're only in here for seven weeks, but let's make the best of it. We remember that this was a vision that was given to John while he was on the island of Patmos and for teaching the word of God and for sharing the testimony of Jesus Christ. As it tells us at the beginning, this is the revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. And different people go to the book of Revelation for different reasons. Often, it's curiosity. It's curiosity that draws us in, and we have our questions that we bring to the book of Revelation, don't we? We first of all look at the question of, is this the end? You know, are these the end times? Is, is, is it imminent? Is Jesus coming now? And we know that not all of the signs have been fulfilled yet. But Jesus still could come at any day, at any moment. And so we know that we need to be prepared. And then last week we asked the question, what happens to the faithful, the faithful in Christ? What will happen to them? And we have a lot of questions, and sometimes we have more questions than answers. But we know that the answer still is to be faithful. Continue to be faithful. If we were to break down Revelation into chunks, we might look at it in different ways. The way that I look at it is we see the purpose and setting in the first four chunks here. And then, and in that time, we see this revelation, uh, the vision of Jesus. Jesus appears in a vision to John as the one who holds the seven stars in his hand. The stars are the messengers of the churches. The pastors, he cares for the churches. He walks among the lampstands. He's, a, he's present 
among the churches. Not just the seven churches in Asia Minor at the time, now Turkey, but in our churches today, he holds us in his hand. He walks amongst us. The next chunk would be the seals and trumpets and bowls, and this is where we're going to spend time today, where we look at tribulation and salvation, the servants, the enemies, the rapture, and punishment. We're not going to look at the enemies today, but we're going to look at the rest of them. As we answer the question, what about the wicked and the godless? I mean, there are a lot of people, perhaps, in the world that just kind of live and do their thing, and they're not for Jesus. They don't seem to be against Jesus. We're going to leave that chunk of people aside. I want to talk about those who are openly hostile towards God and his people, towards those who have evil and malicious intent. We talked briefly in our time of prayer today about this terrible thing that happened once again. Tragedy has unfolded. 21 lives were taken. What were your feelings when you first heard that? How did you feel? Sick? How else? How did you feel? Sorry? Sad. Angry. Angry. Maybe some people were shocked. How could this happen? Why would this happen? Sadness, as Scott mentioned. Anger, as Sandra has mentioned. Grief. Grief for these families. This incredible loss that's happened to them. The, all of the hopes and dreams that they may have had in these children is suddenly and teachers is suddenly gone. Maybe you just feel numb as more bad news seems to roll out. And it brings questions to mind of why would this happen? How could this happen? Why did it happen? You know, sometimes things like this are done because there is hatred. Somebody comes, gets a heart so full of hatred that they do something horrendous, taking the lives of others, hurting somebody else. Sometimes it's, there's mental illness that's involved. And there's a, just a disturbed person that carries this out. But there's this, still this question of injustice. Sometimes it is just pure evil that is enacted in our world. And it makes us ask questions. We read passages... Oh, I apologize. This is uh, not actually Revelation 1.1. This is from Romans. A little mistake there. Uh, this is taken from Romans, where Paul is saying to his people, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. And we ask the question, when? Why didn't God stop this? You know, if he's all powerful, why didn't he stop it? Why does God allow evil to exist when it does such horrendous things in our world? Maybe we ask the question, does God lack power? Is it because God can't do anything about it? And does God lack compassion? Is it because he doesn't care? 
He's just up doing his thing and doesn't really care about people. Is that what's going on? We may even ask the question, how can there be justice? How can there be justice? You can't make it right when somebody's life is gone. You can't bring them back. How can there be justice? You know, even if the person who perpetrated it is dead, whether they got shot by the police when they storm in or took their own life, even if they're given a life sentence for what they've done, even if they're given the death penalty, or maybe even worse yet, what if they're released years later? Where is justice in that? Where is justice for those who lay in the grave? And it's a hard, hard question. This life alone cannot bring true justice for people. Certainly not for the dead. This is a question that must have affected the early church as well as John was living in a time of incredible persecution while the evil emperors were killing Christians. Where is justice? It is mine to avenge, says the Lord. Well, come and do it. Come and do it. Punish the evil. And how do we rationalize this How do we fit this all together? I don't have any easy answers. But here's one that I have tried to piece together out of Scripture. Is that this life that we live is pretty short when we compare it with eternity. And perhaps this life that we live is a testing ground for eternity. Today we're going to look at some parts of Revelation around the scroll and the lamb, the tribulation and salvation, the final witnesses, and then the rapture and the final punishment. We're going to begin by looking at the seven seals, and that's the passage that Scott read for us today. Then we're going to look at the seven trumpets and then seven bowls as well, seven bowls of wrath. There are different views when it comes to these three things that take place. You notice they're all in sevens. Some people think that this is just all ongoing. Some people think that these are repeating things, telling the same thing. And some think that it's all escalating. It's starting at one point and building and building and building. So in ongoing, those people are saying, this is God's response to sin throughout history. We're not seeing literal things that are happening This is our understanding of what God is doing throughout history over time, repeatedly. Some evil person comes up and it sounds like all of these pieces are falling into place again. Is this the end? Well, it sounds like it. And then there's another time that happens and another time that happens. The evil emperors, maybe Hitler, maybe Saddam Hussein, right? These patterns, they kind of cycle around through history. Other people think that this is repeating. What we see here is that we have, first of all, the seals, and then the same thing again is being said through the trumpets, and the same thing is being said through the bowls. But I don't think that really adds up. 
I see that it's escalating, that it's God's eventual and increasing response to sin, that there will come a time when all of this will unfold. So let's take a look at the seventh seal. A seal is not the thing you find at Marineland. It's not that kind of seal. Um, this is a seal on a scroll. At least some people are chuckling. Um, there were seven seals on this scroll. And in, in the ancient world, a seven-sealed scroll was often a will. It was the outcome of what is to come. And no one could be found in heaven to open this scroll at first. Until suddenly, this lamb who looked like he had been slain, Jesus Christ, he looked like he had died, came back to life, he's alive again. He is the one that could open the scroll. Let's turn to Revelation 5, 6 to 10, and see why he's the one who could do it. Here's what John writes for us. I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And your footnote will tell you, or sevenfold spirit. Represents the Holy Spirit. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. The son takes it from the Father. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to open the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. For a will to be read, there must be death involved. And he had died, and he had come back to life. And he is the one who opens the scroll. And the first four seals bring these first four horsemen. The four horsemen of the apocalypse. The first one comes out. And he's an archer on a white horse. He is a conqueror bent on conquest. In the ancient world, the Parthians, one group of people, were known as having very skilled archers that would ride on white horses. And they would come and the sun would light them up and they would come and they would be intimidating, terrifying. It's interesting if we read on in Revelation, we find another rider on a white horse. It is Christ himself that it comes but I don't think that's who this represents in this time because the Lamb has just opened the scroll, opened the seal, and a white horse with a rider comes out. Perhaps he represents a deceiver. That's what Billy Graham had settled on. He said, somebody who comes along to deceive the nations into believing something other than the truth of Jesus Christ. For those who would say that this is an ongoing story, we recognize that there have been false messiahs that have come and there will be false messiahs that continue to come. The scriptures tell us that in the end, 
there will be even those who can perform miracles to try and deceive the believers. Regardless, someone who is coming on conquest. Next, we have the rider on the red horse, and he is given a sword. If the first is somebody who is seeking conquest, the eventual outcome of conquest then is war. You have somebody who wants to take over, they're going to bring war. Third horse, the black horse, with a set of scales, and then there's something cryptic that's said about barley and wine and oil, and what's this all about? Disparity, poverty, inflation, perhaps simply greed that happens. You have a conqueror who brings war, resources begin to dry up, there is less that is available. What we may not recognize in reading that is the expense of what they're talking about. An entire day's wage for a little bit of food. And yet, do not damage the oil and the wine. The the poor are in poverty. The rich are protecting the riches. And finally, death on the fourth horse. Pale horse, kind of a sickly green color. It represents death. Fourth horse. Naturally, if you have a conqueror, you have war have all of these resources that are decimated. People die. No shelter for some people. They're killed by wild beasts. Plagues because people can't get the resources and the help they need, and so they get sick and die, and so on. This is how some would look at these four horsemen. The fifth seal is open, and in heaven there is an altar, and there's these martyrs under the altar, people who have died for the testimony of the word of God. They were, they were killed simply because they claimed that Jesus is Lord, that they believed in that, and they taught others that, and others came along and killed them. And their soulless bodies are here represented under the altar. And they're saying, how long, O Lord? When we seek justice, do we not ask that question? How long, O Lord, until things are put right? How long until we see justice in this world? They call for judgment. They call for their lives to be avenged. And they are given a white robe a symbol of righteousness that is found in Christ, maybe a symbol of their new bodies that they're going to have. They are rewarded in that point regardless. And they are told to wait, which is the one thing we don't want to hear, isn't it? Wait. Just a little while longer. The sixth seal. Do you notice there's voices in all the other seals? The first four voices come from these angelic beings around the throne. The fifth voice comes from the martyrs. And the the sixth voice, the sixth sound is an earthquake. The earth itself is responding. The sun turns black. The stars fall to earth. The sky rolls back. Islands and mountains are taken away. 
There are many approaches to studying Revelation, to understanding Revelation. I'm going to come at it the approach of perhaps these things are just simply how it's going to unfold. If we look throughout Scripture, if we look at the Old Testament prophets, and they speak of the end, they talk about these same kind of signs. Some scholars say, well, John's just taken that stuff and added it here. I think it just affirms the truth of what's always been said. This is what it's going to be like at the end. There is even in the scientific world, and I apologize, I was going to look it up, but there's a scientist who believes, at least one, that what we're living in is almost like a virtual reality. The universe that is around us is not all that there is. It's an image that we see. One day God will peel it back like a can. He will come. There's the seventh seal that comes. And this time there is no voice. There is silence in heaven for half an hour. And seven trumpets are handed out to seven angels. The first phase has passed. The second phase is about to begin. There is an angel who has given these incense and prayers of people. Perhaps the prayers are mostly focused on how long, O Lord, will there be justice? Will you come and bring your justice? Bring what is due upon the earth. Maybe, maybe you don't relate to any of this. Maybe you've never faced injustice. But if you have, know that a day of justice is coming. And so the angel scoops up altar fire, and in this symbolic thing, it is thrown to the earth. There is God's judgment. There is thunder and lightning in this vision of God's judgment being coming to the earth. Let's flip over to Revelation 8. We're going to look at a few verses here of 7 to 12. As we see what happens with the trumpets. The first angel sounded his trumpet. And there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and it was hurled down on the earth. Very much sounds like one of the plagues that came in the time of Exodus. A third of the earth was burned up, a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. Good luck raising cattle, livestock, and so on. The second angel sounded his trumpet, and something like a huge mountain, all ablaze, was thrown into the sea. A third of the sea turned into blood, a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Massive meteor, maybe. Again, we're working with imagery. Not always easy to understand. But destruction that will happen there. The third angel sounded his trumpet. And a great star, blazing like a torch, fell from the sky on a third of the rivers and springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters turned bitter. And many people died from the waters that had become bitter. The fourth angel sounded his trumpet. And a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of them turned dark. A third of the day was without light, and a third of the night. Seven seals, seven trumpets. 
destruction on the land, destruction in the sea, destruction in the drinking water that's available to people, cosmic destruction. Some environmentalists take a look at this and say, this is our fault. This is actually what's going to happen because of what we have done to the earth. Maybe. Doesn't sound like it, but who knows. Revelation 9, 1 to 11 carries on. The fifth angel sounded his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. The star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. We need to remember that stars aren't always stars. Stars are often angels. That's the case here. When he opened the abyss, smoke rose from it like smoke from a gigantic furnace just billowing out. The sky and the sun were darkened by the smoke from the abyss. And out of the smoke, locusts came down from the earth and were given power like that of the scorpions of the earth. I'm not going to continue to read just for the sake of time, but these creatures come out that cause great suffering for everybody except those Trumpets 5 and 6 are about evil torment and human destruction. This is what will happen. Some people think that, well, is this the tribulation? What happens to all the people? Are we here? Do we go through this? Perhaps. We don't go through it all, but we may be around for this. There are certainly some who believe in Jesus Christ who are in the midst of all of this, why are they there? They're there to witness to God. This is God's wrath that is coming upon you. Repent and be saved. Repent and be saved. And some people will listen, and some will be saved in this time. There will be massive destruction. Scriptures tell us that a third of mankind will be destroyed. A third? That's a lot of people. Our next passage we're going to flip to now is Revelation 9, looking at two verses, 20 and 21. You see, God isn't sending this punishment just because he's mean. He has a greater purpose. The rest of the mankind who were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. God is sending this in hopes that in this last phase, people will repent. Repent because the time is near. The time is short. But they did not stop worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood. Idols that cannot see or hear or talk, they did not repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. And we go over to chapter 10 and 11, and there's an interlude, there's a break in all of this. There's a call to prophecy that John is called to go and prophesy to the nations once more, and I believe that call is to us as well. Tell them about Jesus Christ. There are two witnesses. Some people think that's two individual people. 
that may prophesy to the nation, or maybe it's two groups. Maybe it represents the Jews and Gentiles who believe in Jesus. But there is last, final witnesses. Then they are killed. They are destroyed. But then they come back to life again after a while, and Jesus calls them home. And the last trumpet is blown. And heaven is opened up. See the Ark of the Covenant and a storm comes out. Revelation tells us of two angels with sickles. The first one comes along like harvesting the wheat. And we are drawn up with Christ. Witnesses are no more on the earth. They are brought up to heaven. We will meet with Christ in the air. The rapture has come. But there will be another angel, another devastation of destruction on the earth. The last group is the seven bulls of God's wrath. Sores that come upon people. The sea will face such incredible destruction as it turns to like blood and there is death. The rivers turn to blood and there is death like the Nile did in Egypt. The sun will have such an intensity we won't be able to get away from the heat of it. Darkness, deception, earthquake, a final earthquake and hail, and then the judgment. So what's the point of all of this? And wrap it up quick, Pastor Carl, because it's almost lunchtime. I think that what I take from this is that God allows people to face their own consequences. You wanted to rebel in the Garden of Eden. Yeah, you faced temptation. But you wanted to rebel. Okay, you can rebel. And look what happens. The consequences of sin, desire for power, control, war, poverty, Scarcity, death. God's response sometimes is just punishment. God's response sometimes is wrathful destruction. God has allowed people the freedom to make their choices, as we saw in the Garden of Eden. And that's been lived out throughout humanity. But people will also face the consequences of their choices. People can reject God. People can do evil things. But one day, they will be called to account. These horsemen of the apocalypse, do they represent all of time or something that is to come? But in all of that, in all of these seals and trumpets, God's desire is to drive people towards repentance. We saw that in the story of Egypt. We see that repeatedly in the Old Testament, how God wants people to be repenting and not just turn from their evil ways, but turn to Him. But even God has a limit. For when the people were out in the wilderness and turned away from God, He destroyed a bunch of them. And eventually time will run out for people on this earth. The time of choosing, the time of making choices will run out. 
and ultimate justice will happen. There's a positive in all of this. It's that justice will happen. And you have two choices. You can try and answer for yourself or you can let Jesus Christ answer for you if you choose him as your savior. As you choose to accept that what he did on the cross for you as sufficient for your sins, as to give you the life that you would seek to have. I'd recommend that over facing judgment on your own. So what can we say in the end of all of this? What about the justice of God? We have this hope that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. It's funny when we read this in 2 Corinthians 4, Paul talks about light and momentary troubles, and he wrote it in jail, probably after receiving beatings. He called them light and momentary troubles because he had the right perspective that they're achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. That's what waits for you and for me and for anyone who puts their trust in Jesus Christ, no matter what we go through. Justice will happen. And an eternal glory awaits us all. So be prepared. Be faithful. And be assured that justice will be done. As Jesus is coming again. And John wrote, Look, I am coming soon, and the Spirit and the bride who say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. Let's say this together. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, we look forward to your return. We don't know all of the details, but we know that your justice will happen. And we can take some comfort in that. Help us to be your faithful witnesses on this earth. Help us not to worry about what the future holds because you hold the future for us. Thank you for your incredible love. Thank you that justice will be done. Thank you for the cross that has taken our guilt. And we pray that others would still turn to you in this day and age and the age to come. Amen. Final song that we're going to sing together is To God Be the Glory, number 56. Please stand.
Justice will happen. Even in the midst of our darkest times, we can be assured that justice will happen. And we have the choice of either facing justice ourselves for our own mistakes, our own life, or to accepting that of Jesus Christ, what he's done on the cross for each one of us, and to be together with him forever in this eternal glory that far outweighs any kind of persecution or injustice we have ever faced. What a beautiful and glorious day that will be. So bear this good news to those who are out there and go in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.